The Lifestylist, episode 51, featuring Jason Robel. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are listening to part two in a two-part episode with my guest, Jason Robel. Don't forget to go back and listen to part one before beginning this interview. Mi familia, que paso? It's your old pal Luke Story here with the Lifestylist Podcast, bringing you today's guest, Jason Robel. Jason was kind enough to stop by the studio. We sat down and talked for, oh, about an hour and 10 minutes, and we covered a lot of territory, my friends. Jason is a celebrity vegan chef, now an author of an amazing cookbook called Eternity. That's E-A-T, clever name, right? And we talk about how to build the ultimate lifestyle. So bringing in elements of mind, body, and spirit. We spent a lot of time talking about what to eat and what not to eat. And he has a very interesting perspective, having been someone that's fed people for a long time. He's also fed some pretty damn famous people too. So we talk about what it's like to work with celebrities and how to not be all starstruck, awkward, and weird. We cover how to optimize your sleep, both from an environmental and a supplementation. Wow, say that twice. An environmental as well as supplementation standpoint. Jesus. How to keep your vitamin and mineral levels up if you're on a vegan diet. The best food and supplements for sexual health. What? Talking about a little sex, y'all. How to build up that testosterone and crush it. We also talk about how to deal with depression and anxiety by changing your lifestyle and things like the best pre-workout supplements. And then more than anything, really, maybe more important than all of that is how we wrap it up at the end, talking about the dangers of being a diet control freak, guilty as charged, and the hidden childhood issues that help manifest that type of insanity in your life. So we really cover how to live a balanced but healthy and happy life. And I thank you so much for joining me. It gives me such pleasure to share these interviews with you. Thank you so much for listening. As we move into 2017, I want to let you know that I've ramped up my coaching services. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one via Skype, remotely, or in person in Los Angeles, you can go ahead and book me at lukestory.com forward slash coaching. And on that page, you'll find the different services that I offer and what I might be able to help you with. I'm doing this as a result of multiple inquiries via email and on social media from you, the listener, asking me very specific, some sometimes long and very detailed questions about lifestyle recommendations. It's oftentimes too much information to type, so I'm putting myself out there for you, okay? So hit me up at lukestory.com forward slash coaching if you're interested in working with me. And by all means, if you have suggestions for the show or any questions that you'd like me to address, please send me an email at info at lukestory.com and I will either answer the question or find the appropriate guest to do so. 
A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like who can remember to do that? Well, I want to let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot herbal elixir drink. Like what I like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee or if I don't want to have caffeine, I'll just make myself a Four Sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps, lion's mane, um, chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, all the good stuff, all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at Four Sigmatic. So what I'd like you to do is go to foursigmatic.com and check it out. They have an amazing suite of products. And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to foursigmatic.com. But even better, when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter the Lifestylist and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. Jason Robel is a world-renowned leader in organic, raw, vegan cuisine, culinary education, and Epicurean entertainment. With a focus on radical simplicity and artful presentation, he imbues his ecstatic raw food creations with the energy of fresh, local, organic produce and the healing properties of raw superfoods, which have rendered his dishes hands-down favorites among celebrity clients and regular folks alike. Jason's fans include Woody Harrelson, Jeremy Piven, Robin Wright, Sigourney Weaver, and tons of other celebrities that consistently rave about his healthy, innovative, and delicious plant-based creations. When I would work with someone who was very famous, but I wasn't a fan of theirs at mm-hmm. all. I would think, well, I won't be nervous. Like if I was meeting Keith Richards or Robert De Niro, or like if I was working with an icon, I would be nervous as shit because like, I don't know, whenever I'm scared, I always look at what do I want? It means mm-hmm. I want something. So if I'm working with Robert De Niro and I'm nervous, it's because I want him to like me, period. You know, it's yeah. just my instinct for approval is getting out of control and I'm nervous. But I worked with a lot of famous people and I couldn't give a shit about them. Like there was some pop singer, like I would never go to their concert. I would turn their song off if it came on the radio. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. But I would still find myself being nervous and I would look at that and be like, why am I nervous if I totally am not even into what they do? I mean, you know, I respect that they're successful, but it's not my thing. And it really was all the people around them made me nervous because those people put them on such a pedestal and deified them that like the whole entourage and the whole scene made everybody nervous and everyone would have this amnesia and they would forget this is just some like 21 year old kid that like has a good voice and can dance like really why are we we all nervous right it's like a person that has a certain sort of outward ability that attracts other people if this was like the world's uh, most profound mathematician would we all be like whispering and shaking and (laughs) acting all paranoid no it's like there's plenty of exceptional people but when those exceptional people are getting deified by the world and by everyone around them it's it's really hard to not get caught up in that yeah i used to notice i'm like why am i nervous god stop it luke you don't even care about this person yeah just do your job sharing a meal is a good way though like like being in someone's kitchen or being in their trailer like you know prepping food on a hot plate seeing more intimate uh, glimpses into their daily life to me i think is why you know i and, and yes all of them were very nice people but for me i think as a result of being a chef and being maybe more more integrated into their home life and being actually in their homes 
um, to me, created a, a more intimate look at or intimate peek into who they really are. Right. And it is by virtue of being a chef and not a stylist that I got that, uh, that opportunity to see that side of their lives. But when you see that, you meet their family, you make food for them. You're like, oh yeah, they're just, they're just people. Yeah. They're just people. Sometimes you have to remind them of that too. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like, how do you do that without getting fired? <laughs> You're just a person. What? Yeah. How did you end up getting involved in that world? Like, what was your first big client, and how did that happen? Yeah, it was through it was through David Wolf again. You know, he was just such a champion from the early days of I love your food, I love your personality. We got to get you out there. So the first client was uh, was Jeremy Piven. Right after he was coming out of kind of his mercury poisoning phase, he had some really, really gnarly mercury poisoning at one stage of his life, and he wanted to do plant-based and do raw, so I was doing chefing with him, and then the opportunity for Woody came up, and then through Woody, I met people like Sigourney Weaver and Flea, and um, Russell Simmons actually was in New York before that. But it's it's kind of like this word of mouth thing. Like when you, I don't know if you experienced this, but in that whole celebrity culture, if you show up and you do a great job and you connect, then they're more apt to recommend you to someone else. And that's just kind of this domino effect. So that's really how it worked for me. It was just one person like the stuff recommended me to someone else and all the dominoes just started falling that way. Did you ever find yourself nervous to be around a celebrity just because they were famous? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's weird, oh, right? oh, and, and it's only, here's the thing, you mentioned something, it's so critical, Luke, uh, and this was either clients or just people that I would meet, if their art had touched my life in some profound way, I mean, like, whether it's their music or, or their writing or, or something that moved me, I would get nervous as shit, because it was like, this person's affected my life in a very profound way. So, you know, when I met Woody, huge fan of Woody's work, respect the hell out of him as an actor, especially being on set with him for months and months uh, when he was doing the film Rampart. We actually did two movies. We did Friends with Benefits and Rampart right before he shot Hunger Games, the first Hunger Games. But like seeing his process as an artist made me love and respect him even more. Like this guy is hardcore as hell. Like his work ethic is ridiculous. And then when I met Flea, same things. I mean, I grew up listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? So it was like, oh my God, when I used to play bass, you were my inspiration for playing bass. <laughs> You're just being <laughs> yeah, a yeah. fool. Uh, and then reeling it back and going, you know, would you like some quinoa casserole? Are you good? Would you, you know? Yeah. But if they've affected me, man, that's when I get real nervous. That's funny. Because I, I, I want to love know. them up. You know, I, I just totally, want to let them know. Like totally your, your art that. has affected my life in a profound way. Yeah, it was uh, very rare that I worked with someone that I was a fan of just because that's the way it turned out. But I do remember one time I was in a store here called Maxfield. It's a really fancy clothing store. And uh, I think I was, yeah, I was working. So I was doing a poll for a client and I just walked up to the register, do, do, do. And the Stones were playing that night at Dodger Stadium. And I was going, of course. And I walked to the register and I'm like, oh, this guy looks cool. Like little tiny kind of older man. I was like, well, he's dressed cool. And I look over and like, Oh fuck, that's Ron Wood. <laughs> it's like the guitar player from the Stones. And I just like turned back, looked straight ahead, and was like, I was like a girl in high school, like <laughs> standing next to Justin Bieber. You know what I mean? I was like, what is wrong with me? And what's and, and then what sucks is I got in my car and I had like the coolest opener because when I pulled in the parking lot, no shit. I'd been listening to this album called Mahoney's Last Stand. Okay. Which is this super obscure instrumental soundtrack to this super obscure weird movie in the 70s that Ron Wood recorded with this guy named Ronnie Lane, who was the bass player from The Faces, Rod Stewart's band. So like only a super, super Ron Wood fan would even know what that is, let alone have it and be aware of it, let alone just have been listening to it in the car. 
So wow. I'm like, you know, I was like kicking myself in the ass. Like when you, you know, you're somewhere and you know, you're at the bar and the really hot girls next to you and you freeze up and don't say anything. And then you go home and you're like, God, what an idiot. Why didn't I say anything? Yeah. So I was like, that would have been so dope to be like, Ron Wood, no way. You'll never guess. I was just listening to a Mahoney's last stand. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, it would have, I think been so impressive, you know? And he, and then there was this whole fantasy like, yeah, he would have been like, Luke, get in the limo. I'm giving you backstage pass to the show tonight, mate. Let's go. You know, like, why don't you just join us on stage and play some bass? You know, it was like this whole narrative. And uh, yeah, but that's what happens when I'm a super fan. Yeah. But it's funny that, you know, you mentioned too, just like treating them like a normal human and relating to them on that level. That is the antidote to all that. And yeah. With my students at School of Style, I mean, we're training them to become celebrity stylists in some case. And we have a whole section that I teach, and there's a PowerPoint, and it's in the workbook, and it's like how to deal with celebrities. And it really says, don't be starstruck. Don't be a super fan. Even if you are, play it cool. Yeah. Just treat them like a normal person. Because if you're nervous and you're like kissing their ass and being people pleasy, they'll be repulsed by you and they won't want to work with you. Right. So it's like you have to act confident and sort of nonchalant, even if you're not feeling, even if it's not genuine. For sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then what happens is you sort of trick yourself into feeling normal because then they relax and they feel normal and everyone can just be themselves and let their hair down a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like th there's a trust that gets built over time, like depending on how long you work with someone. I know that the, the longer that I was with someone, and this isn't even just celebrity clients, this is people that I just coach on, on cooking and nutrition in general, that it's just about relationship building. You know, it's about really someone having that trust in you to advise them uh, to perhaps, you know, tackle one aspect of their life that's a pain point for them. And I don't know, you know, how long you would style people or how long you were with them, but Again, with food and teaching them nutrition and prepping food for their family and, and watching them enjoy it and kind of shift the narrative of their health conversation, maybe maybe it's because, you know, the, the people like I work with with this take their health very seriously. They're much more, I find, invested in the perspective of I'm hiring you because I, I trust you. I appreciate your perspective with food and nutrition. And I don't know, it, it just feels like maybe one of the reasons I've been treated well is because they're, they're just taking my role very seriously in that course of their life. Yeah, it's not also, a flippant thing. It's not yeah. just like, oh, well, I feel like, you know, uh, e eating uh, asparagus with hollandaise this week. I'll call Jason. No, like they call me in because they want to eat in a very specific way and learn a very specific regimen to shift their lifestyle, right? So, I don't know, there's just a seriousness around it. Well, there's a respect there. It's like if you're a stylist and you bring some cool-looking clothes to a photo shoot and you're, you know, dressing someone that's had 10 platinum albums and been around the world 40 times and they come in they're not that impressed by your level of expertise because mm. they kind of know how you, they could just be like, all right, a lot of people just play, all right, cool, get out of the way. I'm just going to get dressed. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I, I just brought the clothes for you. You're welcome. Have fun with that. I'm not right. involved in the process. But in your case, like you're obviously much more of an expert than that person is probably in all things nutrition and not to mention your culinary skills. So I would think there's kind of an inherent respect where they're like, all right, dude, you got this. Mm -hmm. And once you gain their trust and they know you're not a weirdo and they feel comfortable having you in their home and all that, that it's like you have a sense of kind of authority. I don't want to say over them, but in a sense, like in that one category of their life, like you dominate them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they, they have a respect, even if they know how to cook or they know, you know, oh, I've eaten goji berries. Like they're not going to have the same degree of expertise probably that you are. Yeah. And that's why they're paying you a bunch of money to come over there. Yeah. I just assume they pay a bunch of money. They better have. Um, yeah, it was it was a good phase of my career. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, and then it gives you the credibility too, right? Where For sure. 
you know, now you have a book and you can say, I did this X, Y, and Z. Hey, and on that note, when you go on a book tour, you mentioned that you're doing some cooking demos. How do you, do you have to bring a bunch of crap with you or do you make the people that are hosting it, like provide you with a little faux kitchen setup or how does that work? Yeah, I, it's funny. Like I, I kind of have a tour, <laughs> I kind of have a tour writer. I have a writer now that I sent out, right? And it's like for me to show up and, and do things, you know, this is my minimum speaking appearance, but for me to come and do a lecture and a cooking demo, this is the minimum requirement. So it's more if you do a demo. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if I show up and do a lecture, it's like, okay, cool. You know, you're going to take care of the hotel, the flight, all the regular stuff. Uh, I would like, you know, these these food items in my room so I can eat when I get to the hotel. But in terms of a demo, it's much more nuanced because I'm up there on a stage. I'm making, you know, two or three recipes. I've got to have a high-speed blender, got to have good sharp knives, uh, got to have all the equipment to actually prep a recipe the way it's meant to be prepped. And I learned early on in my career that that was very necessary because I would show up for, man, festivals and gigs. And next thing you know, I'd be using, you know, a $10 Oster blender and a ratty ass knife that was nicked. And I'm like, oh, Christ. And you make your way through it, right? You do your best. But ideally for me to just show up and do my best work as an artist and a culinary professional, it's like, you guys got to have this stuff. You got to provide it, you know, get the mise en place ready, you know, have all the recipes portioned out, everything in it, you know, so I can just go and knock it out of the ballpark. Oh, that's cool. So it's taken me years to like get to that point of like knowing what I need to ask for. Yeah, that's cool. I was curious about that when you mentioned it. Yeah, it's funny that people still use like those old school blenders, right? Like I go to the homie's (sighs) house and I'm like, I'm like, you you seriously don't have a Vitamix? Like what? What plan have you been living on? Like my favorite Airbnb in, in New York, it's in Chelsea, and it's this beautiful apartment, huge, just wonderful. It's on 24th and 11th. It's like great neighborhood. I can walk everywhere. I'm so yeah. excited. And when I first went there, I'm like, uh, where's the blender? And the owner's like, oh, I don't have a blender. I'm like, who can live without a blender? A, B, if you have one, don't get one of those like, gla- what's it, an Osterizer? It's an Oster, yeah. Yeah, an Oster. Yeah. And it's like that glass, uh, you know, like jug with the all the fake buttons that don't actually like, <laughs> it's like they tell you they do 40 different things. Remember those? I'm like, really? Get a blend tech or a Vitamix. Like you got to have the blender on point. Yeah. People got to invest, man. And that, that's one of the biggest things I tell people, um, you know, when I work with them is, is this is an investment. It's a time investment. It's a monetary investment. And if you want to do it, you got to take it seriously. You have to physically invest in setting up your kitchen and your life in a way where you can do this sustainably. And whether that's you prepping the meals yourself whether that's having your assistant or your chef, depending on what the situation is. But, you know, the, the basics of having a really good knife. Oh, my God. A okay. really good blender. <laughs> uh, you know, having the resources. I mean, the resources are out there. We've got a ton of great YouTube channels, cookbooks, uh, blogs out there. But I'm just saying on an equipment level, yeah. it's so funny to me how people are resistant to, on the basic level, man, I'm just like, good knife, good blender. Okay, please, for the love of God, just get a good knife and a good blender. I can show you a billion recipes with those two things. Well, the knives, dude, you just called me out. I was like, yeah, those idiots that don't have a good blender. If you saw my knives, oh my God. Do you they're, not want to show them to me? They're like Flintstonian. <laughs> I mean, like, they're all like dented and they have chunks taken out. I mean, they're like the worst ever. And at one point I, I was dating a woman who was a fantastic cook and uh, a pastry chef. And I mean, like next level. And she finally was like, dude, I'm, I'm not even hanging at your house unless you get some knives. And I almost did it. But then we broke up. And I was like, fuck it, I'm not getting the knives now. What now, bitch? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, she just was great. one good knife, man. She, one was, good knife. she was great. But yeah, it got me shopping for them. And, you know, anyone that like is a real chef or cook knows that you have to have that. If someone wanted to drop like 
500 bucks on some knives, what would be a brand maybe to explore? Would you have a recommendation? There's two that I love. Absolutely love. Um, it depends on what you want, though. If you want something that's going to be a little sexier and sleeker and you're into like knife porn, because some people are, uh, I really love Shun, S-H-U-N, Shun. Those are the ones I was looking at. Yeah, Japanese, great brand, great okay, brand. Cool. Um, if you are someone who bangs their knives around and who, who how do I say this, uh, goes a little bit kind of reckless in the kitchen, um, Shun are... They're very thinner blades. They're very sharp, incredibly sharp, allows you to chop very fast. But if you kind of like just throw knives in the sink and throw them in the dishwasher, maybe not the best brand because they're kind of delicate. Very sharp, but very delicate. Uh, for a good all-around knife, man, I'm a huge fan of Wustoff, German brand, uh, W-S-T-O-F, Wustoff. Uh, that was the first knives I had in culinary school. Still have those knives today. Workhorse, man. You cannot kill those knives. You cannot kill them. So for for fancy and maybe a little more elegant, I love Shun for a workhorse man, Vustoff. Cool. Good yeah. recommendation. And then I'm assuming that you like Vitamix blenders. Um, but the other ones that people talk about a lot are Blendtec. Do you have a preference? I'm a Blendtec guy. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm a Blendtec guy uh, because they have more horsepower. So a little bit more power than a Vitamix. Uh, and they're easier to clean. They've got a, like a wider base. And also um, they've got kind of a dull blade that, that masticates in a different way. And... Um, I just got kind of sick of cutting my hands all the time, getting down to the bottom of the Vitamix. One thing that I do find is one advantage Vitamix has over Blendtec is uh, for anybody who likes to make like instant gelato or instant ice cream, uh, which was kind of pioneered by Erwan here in LA, just like that, you know, put a bunch of ice and superfoods and berries in a blender and just boom, 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 pound it out. I'm making a masturbation motion. You guys on the video can see it, but not. It's just you pound it yeah. out in a Vitamix, and okay? There's a there. Let's let's keep it real, okay? There's a lid, and then there's a hole in the lid, and you take a ramrod and you ram <laughs> the hole. I mean, it's very they call like, it a tamper. Yeah. It's not a yeah. tamper. It's a goddamn ramrod. It's very phallic, okay? Yeah. So so if you're making instant ice cream, uh, yes, Vitamix is better. But honestly, brother, for for ninety nine and a half percent of the stuff I do, I just I prefer Blendtec. How are they price wise? Like I last I checked, the good Vitamix you're going to drop four or five hundred bucks. Is that like kind of on par with the Blendtec? Yeah. Um, if you want to go crazy though, they have a they have a Blendtec model. The one I have is the 800 series, and actually has the sound baffle. Oh. So it's got a, a really thick plastic enclosure around it. Uh, it's a little bit higher horsepower. Uh, same mechanisms. Uh, it's got a digital touch screen though, like an iPhone, which is dope. So you hit that, you hit the screen, and all the icons come up. And so it's all digital touchscreen, but the sound baffle reduces the sound to such an unbelievable level. You can actually have a normal conversation at the volume we're having now while the blender's going. So that's, I invested yeah, in that, and that's, that's been great. That's cool. Uh, years ago, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an inventor slash entrepreneur of sorts. I have a lot of ideas. Most of them don't ever manifest. But at one point, I was trying to sell my home. He's like, someone to partner with me. And I invented these things called smoothie phones. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, at the airport, the guys have like the, the um, you know, the noise reducing yeah. headsets. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make like cooler ones of those. So I just went to Home Depot and literally got the construction ones or the airport ones like those. Um, what are they called? Like, oh, ear protectors. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, dude, we can make cool ones and call them smoothie phones. And you know, I tried to get the homies on board, and everyone's like, 
uh, when you go to Jamba Juice, they just have one of the covers on the Vitamix. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, we could sell them to every smoothie shop. And, and, you know, like we could tell people you could sue your boss if they don't give you a pair of smoothie phones, you know. And it was like it, it didn't fly. But that's what I do in my kitchen to this day. I have my own damn smoothie phones. Seriously. The prototype, yes. And uh, yeah, so when I use my Vitamix, I just throw those on because it, and people, like I get accused of being too extreme and paranoid and stuff all the time, which is probably true. But, I know that in nature, you would never have something that loud, that close to you. And so I'm yeah. always trying to do what's, you know, that natural human being would do even while having a convenient life and having my Vitamix. So yeah, just, I just a habit. I keep my little fruit bowl and I just, I throw those things on anytime I run the Vitamix. Have you put this on Instagram? Do people know about this? Or is this a yeah, I have, thing? I have. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I put them on my Instagram stories. By the way, you listeners, if you want to see some retarded shit, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Look at my stories. I get comments from people all the time that are like, you kind of like mm, backhanded compliments. Like, wow, you're really funny. You know, cause I just do crazy shit like that but i think some people think it's funny and some people think i'm crazy but it's like howard stern said it's you know when he when he came out with his radio show half the people hated him and half the people loved him but the half that hated him still listen exactly so, exactly you know, exactly kind of my social media theory oh well, yeah if, if you get haters on your on your feed they're paying attention yeah good yeah totally well it's funny because my first public video uh talk that i did on health was with david wolf and jack cruz and ben greenfield and all these guys at neil strauss's uh like a mastermind group and Neil just loved the talk that I did because it was like so insane biohacker, just craziness um, that he posted it on his uh, YouTube wow. and sent it out to his mailing list, which is kind of what launched my new little career here with this podcast and all that. It was really cool. He just got behind what I was doing, sort of like David Wolf did for you. But when Neil posted that, Neil's fans are like... A lot of them are carryovers from when he was a pickup artist, teacher and stuff like that, I'm, I'm guessing. So a lot of them are like hardcore trolls, you know? They're like single dudes yeah. that fucking hate people because they're not getting laid because they didn't pay attention to the lessons or whatever. <laughs> <coughs> they No, I don't know what it is. These are, This is all projections and fantasies that I'm having. But what happened was he posted that video and, oh my God, like so many the comments, I got trolled so hard. They're like, this guy's such a pussy. What an idiot. Like, you don't know, you know, because I brought out like the squatty potty and just, <laughs> I mean, like I took the squatty potty on stage and was showing people how to shit like a natural human. I mean, I, I had the, you know, the, the Vitalizer Plus spinning the water. I mean, every biohacking, every Every health technology. I did it all in like two talks over a weekend, wow. like hardcore. And so in the video, everyone just like this guy sucks. And and there was all these people that were like hating me because I was like, egg yolks are good for you, and they were like, cholesterol kills you. And like, there's a lot of antiquated non-science science, science being, <laughs> being spewed out of me. But the thing that I realized, as much as it kind of like hurt my feelings a little, and you know, slash ego, I was like, God, man, people really hated me. But it occurred to me one day, that thing, I was like, wait a minute. The thing the guy's trolling me on is at the end of a two-hour video. Bingo. He didn't fast forward. He watched my whole damn video and just hated me the whole time. Like, that is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on the right track. So that was kind of like how I started my platform. I'm like, I'm just going to be me, man. And there's going to be some people that hang on for the ride and some people that loathe me. But yeah. at least maybe the ones that loathe me will listen and learn something. You know? For sure. What are some things that you can do as we, we're coming towards the end here, but I do have a couple questions. I'll refer to my list because I don't want you to leave. And then I'm like, ah, that one bullet point. What might you recommend if this, and this is getting into a bit of the mindset stuff maybe too, and mm -hmm. just 
you know, a spiritual approach to life, whatever that happens to be. But if somebody's experiencing, you know, negative thoughts and emotions, like um, going through things like depression and anxiety, what can we do nutritionally or just, you know, mindset wise, or what could we practice to really start feeling emotionally and mentally healthy and stable? Well, your, your question is very apropos of my recent experience because, you know, I was diagnosed actually two years ago with clinical depression. So this was uh, part and parcel of me getting the panel test I was talking about and really starting to get a good look at what was going on in my internal physiology for the first time. And I realized that for me, one of the biggest wake-up calls was, you know, these feelings of suicide that I had for the first time in my life. And it was like, what, you know, what is going on here? And there were some things in my life that definitely contributed to that for sure. It wasn't just like a situational suicide. It was really just kind of this effect of unabated stress, unabated anxiety over many, many years that I wasn't taking care of. You know, it was just having massively elevated cortisol levels, not sleeping well, uh, allowing chronic stress just to run my life. And I arrived at this point where it was like, okay, well, I have two choices. I can kill myself (laughs) or I can figure this out. And I chose to figure it out and take myself on. So that was part of the nutritional evaluation, the blood panel test. I got my neurotransmitters tested, by the way, as part of that, which was a fascinating and eye-opening look into my brain chemistry for the first time. For me, what I decided to do was take myself on in every possible way, Uh, adjust my nutrition like I spoke about, right, to really just boost my brain function, get my mood up, elevate my mood. Uh, The second approach was going to a therapist for the first time in my life to address a lot of these. Well, you made it into your, I'm assuming, your 30s without ever having gone to therapy? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. There was a lot built up. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot built up. And and a lot of it was, you know, me getting to the root of so many subconscious programs that I didn't even know were running me. You know, so if we talk about biohacking, I think there's an element to it of of hacking our belief systems, hacking the processes that are going on for us mentally and spiritually that are running us that we don't even know are running us. So there was this whole, you know, fear of abandonment issue that I had that I needed to address and get to the heart of. There was this fear of not being good enough, which is why I was driving myself into the ground working so hard because I had this belief system that if I work harder and I earn more money and I have more success, I'll never be abandoned. So it was this duality of abandonment meets not good enough kind of coming to this head and getting into the mechanics of why I adopted those belief systems. Uh, how those were showing up and basically sabotaging my relationships, sabotaging my own health. So part of it, again, was physical, adjusting my supplementation, uh, eating better. Part of it was addressing it mentally. But part of it, man, was having a spiritual practice and a meditation practice for the first time in my life and realizing that it was so important for me. We talked about going back to the beginning of this, that time to regenerate alone in solitude of every single morning before anything happens, before the phone comes on, before the computer goes on, before I hit the gym, I'm sitting in, in a room, in a dark room, meditating for a minimum of 30 minutes. No questions, not, non-negotiable. Like this is part of this non-negotiable process. So it was just this triple-pronged approach for me of, yeah, I, I had to ad- adjust the way I was living on every level of being. And through that approach, you know, I started rising out of this depressive state. I felt better. My energy was up. I was just more clear. I was able to deal with the stress and anxiety better. So my long answer is, I think if people are dealing with stress, anxiety, uh, disillusionment, negative feelings, 
you can't tackle it in one area of your life. You got to tackle the whole thing and you got to make it a priority, right? Because one of the biggest fears, brother, that I had was, well, if I spend all this time and money, you know, going to a therapist and meditating every day and, and spending all this money on supplements and uh, I'm not going to focus on making money and my business is going to fail and blah, blah, you have to overcome these fear-based thought patterns and you got to take care of yourself. Like if that's the biggest takeaway from this interview is what in whatever ways and whatever means it means to the listener, dialing in how you can take better care of yourself, how you can nurture yourself. I guarantee you this, when you start doing it, you will see the dividends in other aspects of your life. You absolutely will. Because if we grind ourselves into the ground, it's like, yeah, great. You're a millionaire and you're dead. Excellent. Congratulations. So I think just shifting our value system and taking better care of ourselves is, I don't know, I guess that's just my approach to the mindset portion of it. That's awesome. And what kind of meditation do you do? Is there a specific um, style or training or anything like that? Or did you just come up with it? I don't know if I can describe it in terms of framing it. I have a mentor that I've been working with for five years now. Uh, His name is Michael Park. And he is well-versed in so many traditions of spirituality and meditation and self-work that I really do this technique where I sense, I do a sensing meditation where uh, I get very still, I just really get into my breathing, uh, cyclical breathing, like you know, five in-breaths, five out-breaths, get into a uh, cyclical rhythm rather. But what I start doing is I start to focus on different areas of my body and I physically sense uh, in an isolated way, like, okay, I can feel my right eyebrow, my left eyebrow, my right eye, my left eye. And I go through and I kind of scan my entire body and I just become ultra present to one specific part of my body until the entire body is scanned. And I kind of just drop into this awareness. So I'm a big fan of body sensing, uh, not just for the meditation benefits and the calmness of it, but I really think it, it gets me more in tune with my body. So uh, when I'm driving, for instance, right, it's very easy to tune out and just like have this drone-like state, especially here in Los Angeles. But if we can be present to feeling our hands on the wheel and the amount of stress, perhaps we're gripping it too hard, perhaps our body's tense. So for me, part of that body awareness is just an important part of our daily meditation, walking through life. And to me, it's helped train me in that way. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love that sense of uh, awareness of your body. There's like those kind of anchors that you can use. Yeah. And some people use the breath. And then I think it was like Eckhart Tolle I read years ago where he's just like, when you're you know going to do the dishes, don't just do the dishes, like feel the soap on your hands and smell the soap and you know, like do everything with that same level of intention, like yes. whether you're meditating or not. Yes. But as a meditative technique, I mean, I do Vedic meditation, which is you're doing a mantra, which is sort of distracting your mind. And it sort of tricks your mind like, hey, mind, look over here. So you can drop into this transcendent space. Yeah. But you can do the same thing basically using anything that you're putting your attention on. So I'm putting my attention on the mantra, distracting my mind. But you could put your attention on just the feeling of your hands on your knees and the feeling, what does the, you know, the bottom of your foot feel like on the rug and all those sorts of things. And it's super cool because you can do it kind of anywhere at any time too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a big myth that I like to dispel with people when, oh, meditation, I don't need to meditate. I got to build some special room with a bunch of, you know, elephant heads. Like, no, no, no. You can just, you can sit in a chair in the middle of your living room and just focus on your breath and focus on your body or have a mantra. You can do it anywhere. So it's this thing of like getting people away from, from thinking it has to be this ritual. I mean, which it is a ritual for me. But I don't know, making meditation more accessible to the masses. And that's one thing I'm excited about. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. I I ask most people that same kind of question, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm really interested in, 
you know, because like you said, you have to approach it from all angles. You can be eating the best food and be super healthy, but if you're still neurotic and crazy and you don't know how to like deal with anger issues and if you haven't had, you know, like if you don't have a therapist, like you said, or a way to go through the dark nights of the soul that come up in life and really address the negativity and you're just kind of pretending like it's not there and being super happy and doing the spiritual bypass thing, I don't think you can do it. I mean, I think you have to kind of face that shit as it comes up. Yeah, and I, I feel like people in my industry definitely put too much weight and importance on food, right? I love food, definitely love food. It's a communal way, brings people together, nourishes the body. I'm a big fan of food, clearly, but it's not the whole enchilada. And I think for a lot of people I've noticed, they're just like, well, if I just eat healthy, that's good enough. But like you said, they might have a breakdown in their relationships or they're an angry person or they're just bitter all the time or they have no connection to God, spirit, universe, whatever. There's no sense of peace or calm in their life. And I've met tons of people like that where the nutrition is dialed, bro, but the other aspects of their life are being completely ignored. And to me, that's not really living in balance. That's not optimal wellness. It's like you've got one thing down, but you're completely ignoring these other aspects of your life. So, you know, with what I'm doing kind of as a brand now is I'm, I'm moving away from just being known as a food nutrition educator into really training people how to really focus on these other aspects of the fitness, the mindset, the spirituality. So I'm actually launching a new online course in January called My Healthy Hustle. It's a brand new program where we're covering food nutrition, but we're covering the mindset, covering the meditation, talking about functional fitness, compound exercises people can do anywhere so that everyone can get the whole thing dialed in. That all the bases are covered. <laughs> that's that's why you're the perfect guest for the Lifestylist podcast, dude. Right on. You know, because that's every guest we have either you know has some degree of expertise in all of those areas, like yourself. Yeah. Or there's someone who's hyper specialized right. in you know functional medicine or a movement practice or is a meditation teacher or whatever. But that was kind of my idea too of bringing all of those different elements together in an amalgam sort of system that you can hand people yeah. via their ears. Yeah. So the last thing I want to cover is along those lines, because you have been someone who's been very involved in the food scene. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about the dogmatic approach to being, you know, like identifying yourself by what you eat, whether you're a caveman paleo meat eater or you're a vegan or a raw foodist or whatever. And even just with supplementation and biohacking and this sort of self-obsession that people like me have been um, prone to. Uh, a couple of years ago, I heard about this, um, I think it's a real thing called orthorexia, which is where you're totally obsessed about like eating the right foods and not eating toxins. And, you know, you're just like very preoccupied with everything that goes into your body. And I would expand my definition to be like the shampoo that I use and having a shower filter. And like right now I'm on a grounding mat. And I mean, I'm like the biggest one of these, but I've had to really like after getting so much shit dialed in, found like, wow, I really have a lot of control issues. You know, if you see me get on an airplane, I mean, it's like, I'm surprised they don't ask me to leave. I mean, the shit that I unpack and I create this whole universe because I'm trying to control <laughs> the fact that my biology is not meant to be 35,000 feet up in the air flying around at 500 miles an hour. It yeah. just destroys me. So I do all this stuff to like control it and I travel with my grounding sheet and the hotel, you know, and I'm doing all these things. And I've had people go, dude, you're really controlling. So it's something I've looked at. Yeah. What's been your observation of people that you've worked with or just in your own life in terms of like where getting yourself dialed in crosses the line into neurosis where you become a totally paranoid Howard Hughes control freak person where emotionally it's it's actually 
more unhealthy to be that way than it is to just like go eat some McDonald's and like be happy. You right. know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's how a, do, you mentioned balance earlier. Like what are some of the extremes that one could look out for and how do you achieve that balance where you give yourself a break? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great question. I want to answer it on multiple levels. Number one, I think that if we look at the underlying, again, belief system, subconscious belief system that might motivate this kind of behavior, with people I've, I've observed, uh, and including myself, like when I dipped into kind of my dogmatic phase of raw foodism and everything's poison and I've got to control everything, for me and for other people I've talked to, it, it comes out of some childhood situation, generally, not always, where there was some loss of control, where it was dad left, uh, mom and dad were fighting all the time and I couldn't help them. Pet died, got molested by by grandpa. I, I'm extrapolating on way too many hypo, uh, hypothetical situations here, but for me, it was like I knew that my desire to control everything was out of my parents split up, a uh, violent relationship growing up with my dad. I couldn't do it because I was just a small boy. So it was this overcompensation subconsciously of, well, I can control this right? Is like, even as a little boy, there's one thing I can control and it's what I put in my body. So it's this pattern of behavior that continues to adulthood where this whole part of my life is completely out of my control. I have no power over this, but what I do have power over is what I put in my mouth. And so I think that's a subconscious motivator that really guides a lot of people without them even knowing it. May or may not be the case for everyone. For me, it was definitely that case of that childhood trauma being expressed through adulthood. Nailed um, it. You just totally pulled my covers. <laughs> did I? Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. It's I don't actually, want to assume. I was just putting it out there. Yeah. Actually, it was Neil Strauss brought that to my attention. Yeah. Because he's, he's like, dude, I'm really into the stuff you're doing, but have you ever looked at how controlling you are? I was like, what? Who? Want, of course, I'm going to eat healthy, meditate, <laughs> like do all the things I do. He's like, yeah, but let's take a look at where it comes from. And he just loves to like get in and sort of psychoanalyze you For sure. as a friend, you know, which is amazing. He's very bright and studied a lot and done a lot of work himself but that's what he's the first one that pointed out to me he's like well let's look at your childhood let's look at mom and dad and we were talking and he was like bingo there it is yeah. and i don't want to get into it right now but you know i had a lot of situations as a kid in which i did not feel safe and you know it was a victim of a lot of different types of abuse at a lot of different times and it was pretty gnarly and it was totally out of control. So yeah, of course, now I'm going to be like, all right, I'm not drinking tap water and I'm going to, you know, outfit the entire airplane to suit my needs. And like <laughs> everywhere I go, I'm going to protect myself from, you know, harms because that's the only, you just said it. I mean, I'll just repeat what you said, but it's like, those are the only things that I can have this feeble, you know, sense of control over. Yeah. And for me, and I want to hear the rest, I'm not trying to answer your question that I asked you, but just having the awareness that that sort of, uh, system is at work in my psyche yeah just being able to see the formula and see the structure of that like okay mommy daddy uncle babysitter whatever out of control and then through my life i use drugs and alcohol for the majority of my life to control my inner environment like i don't like the way i feel bingo smoke this shoot this whatever and i'll change it real quick yeah you know and so then you get rid of drugs and alcohol. It's like, well, you can't go to that. What are you going to do? Well, how about some supplements? You know, <laughs> you can still be legally sober and take like an overdose of smart drugs to try to control your productivity. It's like the whole thing is about control. But the awareness for me is how I f- I'm finding, I won't say I found, like I've achieved it, but finding balance and actually seeing like, all right, what if I just let go a little bit here? You know, yeah. so I was just in New York and I let go way too much. I ate a lot of gluten and sugar and 
I was like, I destroyed my gut lining in like two weeks and came home and have been rebuilding it the whole time. So, right. you know, that was a, the pendulum was a little too like, fuck it, let's party. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't be controlling, Luke. Well, you know, my biology does require a certain amount of control to function optimally. For sure. I, I think, again, it goes back to balance, right? Is like you swung the pendulum so hard to the other side and then your body lets you know, oh, brother, that's not... <laughs> Let's not do that. But hey, it's this thing of like cheat days in the fitness industry of like, oh, cheat days, cheat days. But I think this this cheat day mentality creates a negative perspective around food, right? We can go, well, it's just, you know, I like to, but people like to, right? It's this whole thing of our culture, but I like to cheat. I like to be bad. What is it in our psyche that likes that? That's what I'm always curious about. Like, why can't you just honor whatever it is you put in your body? And for me, I mean, there are, there are moments, man, I go to weddings and stuff, right? It's like, you know, this isn't the optimal choice for my body, but it's the best I can do right now. And I honor the fact that this is the best choice I can make in this moment. I have no other options present, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to honor it. And even if that mechanism comes up of like, well, it's not perfect, it's not the best thing for you, you know it's not the best thing for you, I'll say, you know what? I have my own mantra around situations like this, which is I unconditionally love and accept myself no matter what. I unconditionally love and accept myself no matter what. And like that is my mantra right now, man. Because, you know, you do get situations in life where it's a less than optimal choice. That's just life. If you're going to live life and not be in this insular bubble and you're going to go out to weddings and parties and travel and go around the world, you just got to do the best you can and really, really be more gentle with ourselves. And I'm saying that to you because I'm saying it to myself, man, because I have a definite perfectionist mentality. But the more that I let go of that and say, I'm just going to do the best I can in each moment and honor my choices, I've learned to let go of that a little bit. And it's, yeah. it's been healthier for me. Yeah. And also probably, <laughs> I would say for myself, I'm a little less of a pill to hang out with too. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're the guy, like yeah. there's the whole phase when you start, whether you know, you're vegan or raw or vegetarian or you're paleo or whatever, like you're eating, like when you're the guy who's like, people are ordering, you're like, really? You sure you want to do that? <laughs> Like your friends can just feel you staring at their plate. Yes. You know what I mean? Silently like, judging. I yeah, I've yeah. been that guy that I'm just like, oh God, really? Then it's been a, it's been a challenge for me because I'm not only controlling myself, I want to control everyone else, you know, and I'm right and I know the way because I do the research and this and that. And it's like, God, what a pisser I've been. I'm sorry for any of my friends <laughs> listening to this, you know, for those phases that you unconditionally loved me until I could love myself and uh yeah, it really is about balance and finding that, having self-awareness to where you can see like, all right, I'm going to make, like you said, a conscious decision here. I'm going to give myself a break, love myself unconditionally, Yeah, do something suboptimal, but do it consciously. Like, I know it's not the best thing and it's okay. I'm just going to like bless this food and, you know, hope for the best. It's just for me, sometimes I take it a little too far the other way. Like yeah. too many times like sure one new york pizza sure but it's like every day for nine days i'm doing some little thing that you know it's like when we teach our classes you know the kids they love m&ms and like i try to get organic stuff no one eats it we get like a veggie plate it just sits there they don't want to eat that shit but when i'm teaching those classes for example they're like nine hours a day and I'll, i just found myself walking by like the m&m bowl and just being like you know, it's like just a ball of gmo just like straight gmo corn syrup like the worst of the worst you know and then and then that activates this craving mechanism where then i'm like well i already ate a bunch of m&ms i might as well just have some pizza and have it's some a slippery pizza. slope yeah i'm like ah, i might as well have some ice cream and then might as well might as well might as well and you know next thing you know i'm 
bloated floating in the Hudson River. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. All right. Awesome, man. Well, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I had yeah. everything on my list here and, uh, and even some things that I didn't. So I want to ask you my final question, and that is, so you've taught me so much. You've taught our listeners so much today by joining us on The Lifestylist. Who have been three teachers that have influenced you or three teachings? It could be a person, a book, a philosophy, anything. Give us three recommendations. Yeah. Uh, number one is uh, Joseph Campbell. Uh, the writings of Joseph Campbell have been tremendously influential in my life. Um, he's got so many books, uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces, Myths to Live By. Uh, my favorite book of his is The Joseph Campbell Companion. Um, and he really has interpreted mythologies and history of mythology in a way that's relevant to modern life, the hero's journey, uh, what it means to uh, go through the fires and the tests of life and go through it consciously and lovingly with an open heart, you know, um, to be able to say yes to all of it, to the, the pain and the suffering and the challenges and the love and the joy. So Joseph Campbell has been highly influential over the course of my life, his writings and his teachings. Uh, another great teacher uh, has been Osho. Uh, especially in terms of um, sexuality and uh, spirituality and relationships, uh, the writings of Osho. I mean, he's got a billion books out there. Love all of Osho's teachings, uh, which has helped me overcome a lot of feelings of shame around sexuality and relationships. He, he's like an OG. Like a lot of spiritual teachings that I will read can be woo-woo, but Osho, the way he writes, it just breaks it down to such a fundamental human level. So I love Osho. And then the third person... You know what, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I was going to say my mom, although she doesn't have anything written out there, but I'm going to use my mom as an example. And I'll use my mom as an example simply because she has taught me really, truly what unconditional love looks like. And she has taught me what unbelievable sacrifice looks like. And to live through the challenges she's lived through in her life and come through it with joy and presence and an open heart has been a, a tremendous teaching for me. So I got to throw, throw Maro in there. Hey man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be anyone like on with the stature of Osho or Joseph Campbell. Mom works, man. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for that. So lastly, where can we find your book and your sites and all of your work? Yeah, so people can uh, check out my website at jasonrobel.com. It's W-R-O-B-E-L. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, at Jason Robel. Uh, my YouTube channel is Jason Robel TV. That's where you'll find the J-Row Show. And Facebook is Jason Robel Official. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us and helping me and our audience to build a lifestyle. Thanks, Luke. So that concludes part two of two with my guest, Jason Robel. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I trust that you went back and heard part one already. If you haven't, it's a good place to start. His story is incredible. And this particular episode just offered so many powerful practices that you can apply to your life. So I'm just like super stoked to have sat down with a fellow kind of health nut and personal development nut such as Jason. Super cool guy. And I'm glad that you got to have the experience with me. And speaking of experiences, I want to let you know that next Tuesday, March 14th, will be the release date of one of my all-time best interviews. That's episode number 52 with my friend Daniel Vitalis. This is another two-parter. It's a two-hour interview, and we go deep down the rabbit hole, man. This is like 
a crazy ass interview and you can't miss it. So on the 14th is part one. Then on the following Friday, March 17th is part two. Don't miss them with my friend, Daniel Vitalis, the rewilder himself. And if you're enjoying this show, the easiest way that you can help support it is just by sharing it with a friend. So if you dug this episode with Jason Robel and you know someone who's into healthy living, just share it with them. Super easy. You're going to help me. You're going to help Jason. You're going to help the show and you're going to help yourself because giving feels good. Thanks again. If you have some questions or even suggestions about the show, you can always submit them to info at lukestory.com. And if you're interested in going deeper down the rabbit hole and you'd like to do some one-on-one coaching with me, yours truly, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching where we can work together remotely via Skype or maybe even in person if you're in the Los Angeles area. Thank you.